G'day, and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark, and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start, but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away, or even plan to hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire, where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos, along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and good hunting. Good evening, sports fans. How are we this evening? The sports fans. Uh, great, Mark. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Yep. Yeah, doing well, mate. Thank you. Good, good. And tonight with us is Daniel Cool from Eureka Tactical, and we'll be talking to Daniel about all sorts of cool stuff in regards to the current feral deer strategy. Um, thanks for joining us, Daniel. Well, thanks for having me. I'm very excited. There we go. Now, before we jump into that stuff, which is kind of like the reason we're here tonight, let's do our usual round robin. So, Daniel, I'm, I'm, I'm positive that you are a, a regular listener to us, so you know what we're going to talk about. But just assuming that you may have missed it, what we usually do when we start the podcast is we have a bit of a, a kind of round the traps, what's happening for each of us in the hunting, shooting and otherwise scene, and then we'll jump straight into the content. So, uh, Jono, over to you. Yeah, thanks, mate. Um, pretty quiet on my side, just working hard. Um, still trying to. Um finalized plans for the raw i've committed to ian that i'll have an answer to him by the end of this week whether i'm chasing red deer or heading to the uh the state forest down in new, new south wales to uh, join deer camp so ian that's can I, uh, can still I on track right here uh, uh, say, uh, uh, anyone who's listening just give Jono a little bit of encouragement as to why he shouldn't be wandering the bush by himself and should be coming to deer camp look i've i've got a serious problem with this nothing's happening says the man yeah, yeah. Who Bellini loophole arrived for today? Oh, nothing's happening. Just you know. Well, that's very are. true. I, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. But yes, I have been. Yeah, nothing's Reliably informed that I have a nice Benelli Lupo in thirty oh six, the caliber I said I would never own, but uh, I can be swayed. So I'm very, very keen to see that the uh, the PTA will be going in straight after the podcast. So why, why is it that you said you'd never own a thirty oh six, John? Oh, look, I think it's. A... Do you want to name your um? Mm. I'm, I'm interested to hear about this. So I got my first 308 when I was 18 years old, living in South Africa. And the reason why I went for a 308 is because my best mate who introduced me to hunting, Rory, um, he he had a 306. So I could not get the same caliber as him because we had to be different. So throughout my, uh, my hunting career, I have owned multiple 308s. I still own multiple 308s. Um, and have not owned a 306 because that'll give him bragging rights because I have succumbed to the other 30 mm. caliber. Ah, Here's a chance, well, Rory. Hope well, Rory, he's got a far better rifle than you, but it's fair. I've, oh, I've, that's for sure, yeah. I've had a look at it, and it's very, very nice. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting my hands on that, and uh, maybe I'll be swayed from the 308. We'll see. Mm, there we go. Uh, Ian? It's been a hell of a week, actually. Mm. Lots of stuff going on. I've got my honker hat. Honker Hunter's hat on in support of the four duck ruling down south. So we're feeling for you guys. And mm. anyway, it's just one of those decisions. And I'm sure there's lots of people up in arms and, and things are being written and, and whatnot. But um, yes, anyway, it's a bit disappointing for everyone down there that's been waiting for that result. Um, 
what else has happened? Um, I've been really getting most stuff ready for the for the rut. Um, we've got four weeks, five weeks to go before we head down into that camp, and and we've got a whole bunch of people coming down to join us. So that's going to be fun. I've taken the BRX that I used up in the NT, uh, pulled the the um, the red dot off it, the aim point, and put on the Steiner Predator Eight, which is a beautiful piece of piece of glass. So really interested to see how that runs. Um, four sided it today. Looking forward to sighting it in properly over the weekend. So, um, so that'll be a good one. Um, just got off YouTube before coming onto the podcast tonight and noticed that two of our good friends, Nasir and Muhammad, mm. both mm. friends of the podcast, both took some advice off us and went out and started chasing deer in state forest hunt. I paired them up via the socials, um, just introduced them to each other. And I noticed there's a, a, a newly released video of the two of them yep. hunting, I think, Tuggalo by the looks of it, uh, and um, successfully taking another couple of deer down there. So wow. um, well done, fellas. I think that's mm. a fantastic result. And um, good on you for catching up with each other, not knowing each other before the podcast. And, and now I'm sure you'll be hunting buddies for a long time. So fantastic stuff. What else is happening? Just lots of planning. Um, new pack arrived from the States, which is the Kuiu uh, Venture 3000. Um, I really wanted to pick up a pack like that just so that it, I had a, uh, a holster for the rifle so I could manhandle the, the camera gear before the gun. And, um, yeah, just, just heaps going on. So looking forward to five weeks' time. It's really good news about that uh, with Nasir and, and Mohammed and that video. I, I was really quite – I haven't watched it. It only popped up in my feed, but I haven't had a yeah. chance to, to watch yeah, it. Yeah, that's awesome. Very Actually, I think I, saw it on, I think I saw it on Hunting Australia, I think. I'm not sure. But yeah, great. well, I, um, I, uh, I, I, I saw it came from Nasir, and then there were two fellas walking, and he said, and he, he described the fact that they'd not met, they've only just met, they've shared some stories, and they've gone hunting, and his name was Muhammad. So I was pretty mm. sure, but yeah. I wasn't a hundred percent sure. And I could only see the back of one of the guys, so it was hard to. Yeah. But um, yeah, good on him, good job. Yeah. Oh, yourself, Mark. Uh, well, uh, I went for a so I. The hunt with Gemma Dunn, who's been on the podcast a couple mm. of times, and Joe from New South Wales, who we've spoken to at the Toowoomba show. We had a hunt planned and it came off. So um, we were about 100 k's north of Golden, so below Sydney. Uh, it was a significant drive. I did it, I came home in a, in a day, I think at 1120 k's in a day. But it was a great hunt. We hunted a, pub, a private block to start with. Uh, full of goats. I mean, like, full of goats. It's like, <laughs> no, kicking the goats out of the way to get to the goats. Uh, lots. So uh, Gemma took four or five. I took a couple. And then we pivoted out of there to Pennsylvania State Forest, which was only about half an hour away, uh, maybe a bit longer, but an easy drive, mostly bitumen until you got to the State Forest. Um uh, we hunted there just for the afternoon. We were there till the next morning, but we only went for a quick uh, look around on the Monday morning. The, the, the state forest came alive at about 5 o'clock uh, with logging trucks and machinery going on. So it's a working forest, and they kicked off pretty pretty early on Monday morning, which I think, you know, didn't do us any favours. But on the Sunday afternoon, uh, we went... We went. We walked. Went for a walk. 
um, just walked into the wind and, you know, went, let's just go right with the wind. And on the way back, uh, bumped a couple of um, spikers, a really chocolatey one and a blonde spiker. And uh, tried to get Gemma on a spiker, but she turned to me and said, look, I'm just not ready. You go for it. So I, I dropped uh, I dropped the blondie. And so we got a deer as well. And we were only in there for about three to four hours. So that was pretty exciting. And I didn't realise that that weekend, uh, not only was that the first time that Gemma had ever really been like on a just, you know, a typical scrub bush hunt type thing like that, um, unguided, you know, just by herself, or with with friends, but it was also the first time she'd ever seen wild deer in a in a wild location. So she'd seen mm. them on the side of a road and things like that, but that was the first time she'd ever seen deer in Australia in a hunting location. And on that weekend, she actually got a chance to see deer three times. So that was pretty special. It's great, eh? Um, it's awesome. The first afternoon when we saw them, you know, they were with goats, and I went, "Gee, that's a funny Different. looking goat." Oh, hang on, and sure enough, yeah, two deer. They're real skittish. And we saw him again the next day, right in the middle of the day too, in the, in the heat. And then as I said, we picked up a deer in um, uh, Pennsylvania, which was great. So you came so home a day early and you drove? Yeah, well, we were supposed to hunt. How many hours? We were supposed to hunt through Monday morning and then come and leave. I was intending to leave around Monday afternoon, drive for six, seven hours and find a place to pull over and actually do the podcast that night. But by 7.30, you know, this the, the forest was just, you know, mm. machines, trucks, <laughs> just going. It's like in a construction site. So we said, hey, look, let's just call it quits. We'd got, we, you know, we've got we've got goats, we've got deer, let's call it quits. So, yeah, it was 1,120Ks um, from right. camp. You were, you were fairly tired when you got back and jumped straight <laughs> on a podcast. And I'm just going to say... There is an upcoming podcast. You'll notice that Mark was a little bit tired, but there is a merch pack going out to the first person who messages me to tell me at what moment in time on that podcast Mark fell asleep. It did happen. He caught himself. It did happen. We won't tell you who it was. was was Moment in time, uh, send it to me and I'll get your merch pack. Yeah, it was. I was was pretty flogged. And I was a bit more of that. was stinky too. I was just stinky. (laughs) Yeah, well, we can't tell that virtually. And one, so as part of the the hunt, I started using these things, which is the Steiner Predators uh, LRF, the laser rangefinders. Man, I love these things. These things are so cool. And the only downside is they're about that much too long for my current chest rig because Mm. they've got the brains in them, so they're just a little bit longer than a standard 10 by 42. But other than that, they are just lovely. Well, 10 by 42s are they're just usually lovely. pretty big anyway, aren't they? Yeah, well, mm, I've got yeah. 10 by 42s, but when you put them up together, basically, you know, there's that much, which is the brains component, which makes them. So other than that, they're not a particularly um, bulky rangefinder by now at all. And it's pretty simple. It's just, you know, point and shoot type thing. And one interesting thing I, I found out was that, in the really early light, if you're looking at something and you you know you just can't make it out, if you actually range it, it introduces light into the into the tubes into the tubes, and you actually can see better. Ooh. Different tone. Yeah, mm. it's quite. I went, oh, look at that. 
Daniel, Daniel, yep. what's going on? Are you um, are you planning for the rut or the raw this year? I see your conservation through hunting, and we're here to talk about it. But how active are you this year in, in pursuing game? I am planning multiple hunts over the next like couple of months. Um, I've been yep. just looking at all these state forests, kind of along the border, just because um, see what's you know within six hours of Brisbane. Uh, not really a big fan of driving long distances anymore. Done it a bit too too yep. much. So if I can do, if I can find places I can do within like a weekend or like a long weekend, that'd be great. But almost all of them are closed due to other floods or fires. And it's like, New South Wales just can't mm. catch a break. Like it's not just floods, it's floods <laughs> yeah, or fires. Um, and then there's a planning another hunt a bit further south in New South Wales as well, which should be for deer. Um, which is fairly exciting. It'll be sort of the furthest I've travelled. Um, I've just come back from a well, a farm trip last week, which was uh, which was meant for uh, pigs, but I kind of just sat around with the farmer and talked all, the whole time. We didn't actually get any hunting in, so um, <laughs> I'll be going back out there soon to actually hunt some pigs um, just after or well, end of March. So yeah, I've got got quite a few hunts yep. planned over the next few months. Cool. Awesome. Very good. Very nice. Oh, well, good luck with it. Mm. Any talk about hunting pigs gets my attention. Yeah, Mark loves the pigs. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you got to get rid of them, you know. Farmers <laughs> don't like them. No, that's I, sure. I'm very don't. fond of them. Yeah. <laughs> Other people's. <laughs> I'm very fond of them. Okay, so uh, let's jump into it. So how we got here this evening was that after our first podcast about the feral deer action plan on i can't even remember the correct title of it um we got uh, a message i if i remember correctly through from zach williams who's uh, the honey connection podcast um that we should have a chat with daniel and uh so you know did all the what was it, it wasn't on Facebook Messenger. It was on um, Instagram. It was Instagram. Instagram, I Instagram think. Messenger, which look, which even harder for me to find, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but we managed to figure it out, and so we had a. It was a bit of a back and forth about coming on, and uh, Daniel, you know, suggested that there, you know, wanted to talk about some of the points we made in the um, in in our in our podcast, specifically, if I remember correctly, around the idea of deer specific poisons and baits and things like that so he said yeah sure more more information is better um so let's let's do it so that's how we got here tonight now to give this some context and ian's got the um he's got the the, the details not only are you uh an, a, a guy who likes to go out and hunt but you've also got some science behind your opinion yeah so i've got so, a bachelor of science um Mm-hmm. in biology and so majored in biological sciences and then uh, minded in wildlife ecology and environmental science and i had a major uh, focus on invasive uh, invasion ecology was kind of where i've been where i steered my degree because uh well everything we hunt in australia is an invasive species and i like to hunt so may as well spend that hex debt on uh, on doing something to do with hunting that's a good point. That's an interesting um, way. So, lucky you didn't st- study gambling. 
Well, it's a bit of a gamble. <laughs> you in the casino. You could be spending your hex deck in the casino. Um, but anyway, so that's it. Yeah, now, that's a nice approach. And as, and as a day job, you also now do you do you own this business, Daniel? Yes, Eureka Tactical. Yeah, so I own yeah. Eureka so Tactical. With you're you're in the industry as well, so you've really focused your life around uh, the outdoors, hunting, and and everything that goes with it. So uh, it should be a really good, interesting conversation. Okay, so I suppose maybe the the place to start is um, uh, we'd I, we'd like to hear. I suppose, to begin with, your take on some of the things we said, but or, or more importantly, those things that resonated with you that, you know, you wanted to you wanted to discuss in detail. So um, how about we hand it over to you and, and away you go? So you just want me to say nice things about you is, is what I'm getting. Well, you look, <laughs> I, look I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't, you know, I'm not going to complain if you do. <laughs> but you, okay. you can say other things. But Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so basically I, I listened to all the, you know, podcasts I, I listen to, um, well, I read everything that comes out in the hunting world, you know, all the magazines and all the publications and all that. And after listening to to your podcast, or I guess a few podcasts ago on, on this plan, uh, I found it fantastic because, and, and something I really want to commend you guys for, all three of you, because uh, it really was, I think, the best piece of uh, media about this plan that's been published um, through any of the mediums in um, like in Australia, because you know you emphasised that you don't really know um, all the finer details, and that that's really nice. That's good because like you're not acting like you you knew everything, and um, really about the poisons, you read it correctly, and you guys are the first people to actually talk about the poison part correctly. And um, there was just like really refreshing because lots of um, there's been lots of articles and commentary, you know, like either Facebook comments or posts, um, etc., which really hammered on about the poisons part of it, believing that they're wanting to drop 1080 everywhere to kill a deer, and it's like that's not what it says. And and you guys read that correctly, so um, yeah, I I, I just that's why I messaged you guys. I just really wanted to commend you for that, um, and. I guess all, all your good points come in with that is that you didn't come in with a with a big ego or um, in a highly emotional state. It was just read it. I was like, oh, that's interesting, and and went from mm. there. So yeah, that's, well, that's kind of all well, the, the good points. That, we fluked that one, <laughs> <laughs> but so fluke. Uh, thanks for acknowledging that we fluked that one. So so what. So let I suppose let's start with the poison. So what is your take on that? Because well, I mean our take was we don't know. And so that's, what's your take on that? That is the best take because if you if you go into it, it's on uh, like page nineteen, right? Uh, this plan supports the development and registration of one or more baits for feral deer through the Australian Pesticides and Veterinary Medicines Authority. So what they're, what they're suggesting is that, well, exactly that, they, they would support an entity, which could be a research lab, which could be a university, which, um, you know, it could be like CSIRO, um, funded deal, starting, starting trial, starting research on a bait, on a poison that could target deer and 
and Justia and using 21st century ethics, using 21st century um, morals to, to guide that plan and experimental design. And, and that's just what it's, that's just what it says. And there's been a lot of commentary, uh, you know, like you just, this through all the groups and stuff of people misinterpreting that or making clickbait titles or clickbait posts, etc. just saying, oh, they, you know, they're wanting to put poison everywhere. They're wanting to do this or that. And it's, it's like, no, they're not. Um, so I, I think the best place to start is actually to define they, because that really hasn't mm. been talked mm. about much. And I think that that really should be. So first we need to sort of figure out like, okay, what is an action plan to begin with? Right. Because I think that's sort of where you need to need to start. So, because it's an actual thing in sort of the conservation world in science. So an action plan is an outline of an issue. So you find an issue and then you just, you write up an issue methods. You identify all of the methods and all of the tools which can be used into in fixing the issue. And then a multi-step task list essentially um, with a set of achievable objectives uh, to meet an end goal. So with this, they've identified the deer causing problems to the Australian environment. So they have sort of made a sort of executive summary. That's at the start, just showing the kind of damage that they do. That's identifying the issue. Then most of the pages after that are talking about the different uh, tools and methods that are available, such as, you know, the baits, um, thermals, ground shooting, helicopter shooting, etc. And that's one of the things I have a, a problem with, we'll come back to. And then... Um, they have a set of objectives that you know can be met to try and meet the end goal of a large population decline in deer numbers in Australia. And so then in the conservation world, that actually comes into something called a conservation action plan, a CAP, um, which is, is the same thing, except it's very specifically on the top of topic of environmental conservation. So think of it as like a, a list of strategies to help fix um, an outline topic. Now it's not legislation. And I think that's where a lot of people are getting mm. caught up. This is not a piece of legislation at all. Um, it's written by a community group, like a working group of different stakeholders. Uh, and there's a lot of Commissioned by who, Daniel? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, who decided so... to make this happen? Like, was it a, uh, we know it came out, it was South Australia, wasn't it? It no. came out or was it Western Australia? Uh, neither of those. South Australia. So on the page itself, uh, down the bottom, uh, there's a there's a disclaimer. So this this was primarily put together by uh, uh, an organisation called the Centre for Invasive Species Solutions, which is a community yep. um, based organisation or like a, a member based organisation, and these members include the, the Federal Australian Government Department of Agriculture. Um, most states have some sort of stake in it. So like the biosecurity sections, maybe New South Wales DPI, uh, South Australian, the, the organized, the department you just listed. And there's other associate members, such as like the invasive species council, um, and like wool producers right. are part of this thing. And, um, so they'll, they'll, I guess they'll want to put together the working group 
probably at the disc, um, discretion of the federal government. And I, get, I forgot where I was going with that. So that that's who is sort of behind putting together the working group, the Center for Invasive Species Solutions. It's a NGO, it's a non yep. nonprofit, non government organization full of, <laughs> of stakeholders. Yeah, is it was that, one of the. Is that what we used to call a CRC? What's a CRC? So, uh, you know, a, a, a research center, a community uh, research center. I don't, I'm not sure if they Is do their own research, but most, most likely, yeah, because they at least facilitate research as far as I know, um, and sort of can direct it. And so they, they're like, so they're, they're made up of government organizations, like departments and, mm -hmm. and all that. Yeah. Of representation um, and, from each of them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And in this yeah. one specifically, you know, you've got a member from like the SSAA, you've got um, New South Wales DPI, I've got some from Queensland okay. in it. There's there's a whole bunch of different stakeholders who have come together to to write this. Uh, this is a proposal um, for for an action plan and not legislation. So that's really important. So this, this is not a piece of legislation. Um, and so like stakeholders who this would apply to, which would be um, land managers of either the state down to individual private property owners. So that would include council regions, um, large properties, different sort of agriculture. They can choose to adopt these strategies and implement them how they see fit and within their already um, written legislation. Does that make sense? Or do I... yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I noticed in the in the plan they talked about um, a community liaison or advisor that was out there, and, and obviously their role is to to educate the large landholders and the LGAs and state and and various other you know people that they would like to participate that the action plan exists and that there is a framework for them to follow. I guess that's what that role was. Yeah, describing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly right. Um, because mm. yeah, and I, I think this, it's really important to start with that, so we can define like who they are and and really what this plan is. This plan is this a list of strategies. It's uh, mm. it's not going to it's not going to the, each of the different state legislators and be like, hey, you have to implement um, new laws that dictate more culling. It's um, that's right. We, we, technically. This couldn't be legislation. Could could this fall under federal legislation of any sense? Not really. So Not that I know of. No, it, mm. it, no, I, I can't see how this could be any kind of. This would ultimately be enacted at at a state base. This would be a, a, a you know a typical state by state issue, um, and so that's where the, the you know you would get more than likely. Or well, say maybe it's a better way to say it. You would get very unlikely. You would get uniformity across the states in regards to its approach. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And but that these the job of this action plan is really to outline objectives that each state could meet, and to show mm. them not all the tools, but a lot of tools which they recommend. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, they left out recreational hunters 
I think are the most important two. Yeah, now you brought it up. I well, was that, waiting. That, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, and I mean, uh, there's. I mean, what, what's your take on why they left out recreational hunters? And, and before you answer that, um, how if you said that there was a there was representation from double S double A in this group, I find it even more interesting that it was not included. But I find mm. it really interesting that they were mentioned as a, a program like what double S double A have done in part of this document as well. So Mark's question, but. I'm just interested as to how hunting was left out altogether, given that there was some representation. Yeah, and so they they wrote down that they believe it's not within their scope um, to create directives for recreational hunters or, or the recreational hunting community, at least. And that mm. I can't remember the exact wording because I lost all my markers on my um <laughs> on my printout, but they they outlined that recreational hunting goals are in contrast to um, conservation objectives, right? And they're kind of right. They, they, they kind of are. I mean, the point, you know, recreational hunting, uh, if, you, if you talk to a lot of people in the community or just sort of gather the general um, ideas of what the community says is if you get rid of the deer, there's not going to be deer hunting. So, I mean, the the kind of right recreational hunters want yeah, there's deer no, to hunt. There's no, yeah. um, there's so nothing right. in it that says that there's a chance. There's a chance that recreational hunting or de- or the deer go away altogether. And um, to a point that Mark made a while back, uh, and probably more than once, um, leaving it out of the plan um, as one of the tools. It's the most effective tool in Victoria so far. With a whether hunters uh, agree with the end goal or not, uh, hunters in Victoria are taking more deer out of the bush than any one of these other tools that are in their plan. Or actually um, probably all of the other tools combined. Combined, yeah. combined. So it's it's bizarre that I, 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 I hear what you're saying, that it's not within their charter to advise recreational hunters how to go about their business. So maybe that's why they leave it out a little bit. But, but they also can't direct legislation. So, no, sure, you know, with, with sure. Queensland, we don't but, have um, the same type of hunting that Victoria has. Now, it's not within their power to mm, go to mm. um, the Queensland state government and say, hey, you need to implement a state forest hunting program. So it's not, it's not within their power yeah. to do so. Um, and that, mm. that's, that's important to, you know, to understand. Uh, uh, mm. uh, look, I, I understand that, but I, I do think that there – and. I do think there's a, uh, and I read an article about it, and, it, and there's this uh, an over politicisation of hunting, and I, and I, to me, that's what the plan. When they say it's not in their wheelhouse to talk about recreational hunting, I kind of go, uh, yeah, okay. And the reason why they say it, which is okay, because they're saying that recreational hunting is controlled by certain legislative requirements, and so we can't, you know, we can't enact that. And I would have accepted that, but then they kind of do mm. the but anyway, and the but anyway is that recreational hunters have different outcomes mm. or different goals. So since those goals are incompatible, we don't want to talk to them. But, but I actually find that a little odd. And that this is what I, what you know, I, I've said it a couple of times: is that dead deer are dead deer. 
Um, but what, you, what recreational you know, hunters is in, is, is in conflict with what they're trying to achieve because yeah, recreational yeah. hunters are going to manage the resource because we want to hunt tomorrow. We want our children to hunt. That's yeah. not what this plan is doing. This plan no. is to eradicate deer what's reduced their numbers significantly. Reduce, yeah. And that's right. That's not what we're doing. We're, you know, we're going out there looking for, you know, some venison to put on the table. We're going to look out for a nice, you know, set of antlers to put up on your wall. Mm. That's managing a resource. That's in conflict with what they're trying to achieve. Most definitely, and, and that's I, why they've excluded it. And yeah, I, but think, I think by mentioning it, they've they've put a lot of people's backs up. Yeah, and yeah. this is this is what's created the emotion. Yeah. And I think the other thing is too, if we step away from the emotion, is that. Uh, I can't think of a single vertebrate species that we've removed in this country once we've introduced it, but you might know of any. I can't think of any. No, I don't think we've been successful in removing any vertebrates. Um, some yeah. have just naturally died out, but um, so, of these established and, and, pests, and, and, you're right. Yeah, that's right. We one so one we've we've had no success. Once they're here, they tend to they tend to dig in, mm. and they dig in very effectively. Two, today, the way we try to get rid of them is we poison, we shoot them, we trap them, and we build a fence. And this plan says, hey, there's this problem called deer, which we want to get rid of. So technically, we're we're running at like you know zero for I don't know how many introduced species there is, but we're running at zero for something to get rid of them. And just like every other unsuccessful attempt that we've tried so far, we're going to try and shoot them, trap them, and poison them, mm. and build a fence around them. And you kind of go, guys, how many times do you have to lose before you realise maybe there's a different way to approach this? And and that for me is what the crux of the the challenge of this plan is, the, the, you know, it's it's if you had a friend who was trying to fix a car and every time he's tried to fix a car, he took a hammer to it and you say, look, mate, maybe there's a different way. You know, eventually you'd say, look, maybe you should just let someone else have a different view, different approach mm. to that. But what's what we're doing here? I mean, I can't see anything in this plan that is um, not something that's been tried before. Well, the technology might be slightly the slight the technology might be slightly different. The improvements might be there, but basically, since rabbits, foxes, cats, goats, pigs, wild dogs, it's been about build a fence, and that fence might be an artificial or uh, might be a hard wire fence, or it might be some other kind of fence. Trap them in the various ways, shoot them, and poison them, or or bait them in one way or another. And uh, so is there something that I'm missing in this plan that is different to those approaches? I would say because you've generalised it so much, no, but also yes, when you really get down into the weeds of it and and really sort of look into exactly the the new research and the new controls that more sort of the improvements rather to the control methods, right? So biggest one, thermal. Uh, thermal has been a huge improvement to the way humans can identify and then kill animals, really. 
I mean, just the fact that you can, just anyone really can get a device, handheld device that you can, if you're sort of at a elevated position, can look down and find many animals in a field or, or at nighttime, even during the day. That, that's massive, right? So the ability to find animals through thermal greatly improves success rates of, um, of finding mm-hmm. and then killing deer. Um, or any animal really, but, but we're talking specifically about deer and there's, there've been studies to, to show that. And then beyond that thermal on drones is massive at the moment. I know multiple researchers who, uh, who actively use drones to find wildlife, either invasive species or endemic species. And the rates they can find these animals using thermal drones is, you know, multitudes of, of order higher than anything like 10 years ago, definitely way higher than 20 years ago. And so just being able to identify new incursions of, um, of deer into places using thermal drones is massive. And then that will be up to drive, um, resources to try and fight those deer right um and then going beyond that thermal drones with artificial intelligence that's also a huge game changer artificial intelligence is being used massively in invasion ecology especially with um Hmm. like in the great barrier reef we've got there's a few uh fox things going on at the moment with artificial intelligence and identifying like sort of foxes and then there's there's new monitoring techniques so so you know if you just look at it as a very generalized idea of oh it's still it's just a, an extension of shooting it's an extension of trapping etc it's really not it's it's a whole new world out there they've got um like cat traps which ai can identify a cat and only poison that cat and and nothing else because it's a, it's identified a cat and like sprayed a poison onto it or such so mm, it, it's seen, not seen it's thing. not the same techniques mm. as 10 years ago it's not the same techniques as 15 years ago it's it's a whole new thing out there so um yeah so so that, that's yeah, why the so we're getting smarter low. but the the animals are the same mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and i've seen effective. the ai work in ag i've seen i've seen drones that um that, that go out and they scan grasses they scan weeds and they target spray they can see how it can do that. If they can develop a, a, a unique heat signature for a deer or some unique identifier that allows you to, to spot it and then count it, then I can see how they're going to be able to target specific areas with that. They'll have, they'll have you know, problems with those in, in dense forests and bush and things that are a long way away. They've still got to be able to get those drones in and out, um, you know, on batteries and, and those sorts of things. But, um, yeah, I can see that. I can see that as a benefit. Uh, yeah. I can't. I can't see it as a benefit for, let's call it a a weaponized drone that's going to go and, uh, you know, and and, and attack the deer at the same time. I've seen drones uh, fly over deer and they run for their lives, um, you know, from quite some distance away, but I can see how they could spot them. Yeah. Yeah. So they, there's definitely tools other developed now and still developing that can really, really assist, um, you know, their their objectives their objectives aren't mm. unreasonable or rather unachievable um if the if the state 
really decides to to adopt the plan and try and, and do these new things. It's I, I wouldn't say that we'll get down to like you know no deer, but you know just to just to generalize this whole thing to down oh well they're just it's still just shooting it's still just trapping it, it's really inaccurate. Um, it, it's it's crazy the stuff that they can do now. Um, so. I don't know. I don't know if that answered your question or not, but I hope it did. No, no, no. It is. Uh, I mean, it's certainly. I mean, so what we're saying is that those, while those mechanisms are still the same, their effectiveness has increased dramatically. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I don't know if it's if I was listening to, I think it was your podcast where you sort of made the comparison between like iron sights and a scope, right? Um, this is way beyond that. Like this is way beyond the effectiveness of going from iron sights to a scope. So, so yeah, um, it, it's not really un, un, unreasonable objectives to, I think, I think they are somewhat achievable. Hmm. Okay. Moving so, to, sorry, go Mark. No, no, you go, mate, go. I was just going to say out of the other control methods that they talked about, um, are there any others? Uh, and let's leave bait out for a second. Okay. It's going to be a fun conversation in its own right. But are there, are there any other major advancements in technology that you can see that are going to aid this this plan? Or is that is that a, that's the main game changer rather than... Well, the, the main one bait? is technology, but um, also they talk about using like contract shooters and volunteer shooters, right? And so this mm. is actually basis in a, a very large study done in Victoria um, using members from the, the ADA to assist in in a culling operation, essentially, where uh, I can't remember the, who, who the researchers were, but they were looking at the cost effectiveness and um, just kill effectiveness of volunteers versus contract shooters, right? And so they each had sort of their own blocks and were to hunt in the same sort of time periods, not at the same time as each other, but over the same course of time, right? And the contract shooters, well, under Victorian legislation, were allowed to have whatever contract shooters are allowed to have, which includes uh, thermally assisted devices, which recreational hunting you can't do, and um, suppressors. And I think some were able to use semi-autos, but I don't recall the details of the um, study that much. Whereas the volunteer shooters, so their goal wasn't to go out and recreationally hunting. The goal was to shoot as many deer as possible, would use their bolt actions. I think they maybe had two thermal devices, which they could swap between each other. Um, I think they were supplied and no suppressors, right? I think they were allowed to spotlight, but um, no suppressors. And the effectiveness of the contract shooters was was quite a bit more than the volunteer shooters because of, well, if you've got a business that's based around pest control, then you're going to invest in the tool. So they had the best thermal equipment and they had um, vehicles like buggies that they would drive around them because that's what the contractors had and suppressors and the use of suppressors was actually noted in this study to be one of the main factors as to why they were so much more effective than the volunteer shooters 
and that's that's really interesting. And but they also cost a lot more. They cost a lot more, and they cost a lot more per deer killed as well, which is really really important if we're going to be looking at like the economy of using contract shooters all, all across Australia or such. Um, and so I think that's that's very important to look at when we're looking at tools. Is contract shooters very effective? But cost costs a lot. Mm. Mm-hmm. So how does that play out then? I mean, because in in the the document itself, it talks about you know, like the forming of community based volunteers to be to be involved in in these products. It actually talks about that, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so they encourage, um, I guess, farmer assist type programs yeah. of, I don't know who they are encouraging to fund it or organize it, just that they are encouraging um, volunteer team-based style organizations that will, you know, choose to go out and shoot deer when there's other incursions found or when they're told to or such that I don't think they sort of really nailed down because you can't do that in most States. Right. And like, I don't know too many people and this doesn't mean that they don't exist. I don't know too many people who would be willing to go out and just shoot deer to shoot and drop. So, how they're going to think, fill well, these I mean, numbers the up? S- is... The double SAA around their around their farmers' program and their yeah. conservation, the CW CWM, CWM. Yeah. So, uh, the, the, and that's probably well potentially the double SAA influence into that document was around those volunteer groups. But you know, I think there is you know there is people out there who are willing to to volunteer their time to do it. Um, I guess it's probably more is do you want do the do the landowners want people running around with firearms? That's you know potentially, I think why that uptake has been so low. Um, but mm-hmm. if it's being mandated by you know state governments or federal government, then you know potentially that uptake might be higher. Yeah, I mean there's there's provision there's provision in Queensland these days for local government to allow. Um, people onto land that they control as an LGA level. It's been around for some while, some time, and um, that recently came to the forefront again around one of the petitions that went through. Mm. Uh, if you had a framework that allowed a club to go and certify and become, you know, tick the boxes, I've got the insurance, we've run the training, we've got, you know, a, a level of certification for our members, and they were there on a on a record for Toowoomba Regional Council to say, you know, the local guy that's the coordinator of, of Southeast Queensland is educating these guys to say there's three different clubs up here that can help you with that problem out the back of the dam. Um, you know, call on them if you wish. I can see how that can come together, um, how that gets coordinated and how um, uh, bias remains out of it. Uh, you know, one club doesn't turn it into a boys' club, and then the next club tries to get into it. You know, you know, there's been this problem around the hunting community for, mm. for forever. Um, you know, once one person gets access, or once one group gets access, they try and stop the rest because it's what they want to do. Like I get it; um, it's not right, but I understand human motives. 
Um, but the framework could allow it. I can sort of see how this plays in. Yeah, so I guess it, it, uh, it, it might be possible there to implement. So I suppose one of the, the, the you know, as you said, the, the kind of really caustic points for a lot of people is, is the idea of is baits and poisoning. Mm. And, yeah, you know, I suppose whilst, you know, there is lots of talk about 1080, I mean, some of that talk is based on the fact that they use 1080 um, in places. And, I mean, and they've been doing, they've been poisoning or baiting deer in New Zealand for a number of years. So, you know, there is, so I suppose in, in real terms, from from my point of view is if they're going to develop a a um a specific deer only bait having a science degree myself won't they already go for what already exists and see what they can mm. modify or use you know i mean that's what that's why that's how science is you know you don't necessarily create something completely new you see what's around and you see what other people are using and their effectiveness effectiveness of it, and you measure it and you determine well maybe that's the option that we use here. Yeah, well, Daniel, the scientist, might correct me here, but a major difference between New Zealand and Australia is that the byproduct or the the, the unintended kill in New Zealand is also a pest. There are no vertebrate species. There are no mammals in New Zealand that are native. There aren't any. It's a bird sanctuary basically. Here, you drop a bait of a, a native animal, a roo, a wallaby, a, a wombat, a koala, or something picks it up, it could die too. New Zealand doesn't have that problem. The birds do, sure. Um, but I think that was the, the undertone of the of the, the deer poisoning there is so you, you kill a tar. Right. Also a feral species. Also, also a feral species, yeah. Mm. Uh, Daniel, I'm sure you've got a, a, a broader perspective on that. Um, just to, to nitpick a little bit, I think there's like native bats in New Zealand, which are, which are mammals. Um, I think now I've said it though, now I'm right. asking myself. Um, and I think there might be some Googling like seals, New just, a, just a nitpick a little bit. Um, and look, it... no, no, I can't gotcha. <laughs> first seals, yeah, first seals. Um, uh, okay, uh, in the so... middle of the, uh, fjordlands, less likely, but that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but no, you're right. In, in terms of like terrestrial mammals that, uh, you know, yeah. quadrupeds and such, that there's really there's, there's not. Um, right. Okay. So so there's a few things to understand. It is a, a bit of a concern. I understand. It's definitely a concern that um, they they can just use 1080 or, or whatever. But when we're talking about this when we're talking about this plan specifically um either you know as a podcast or when make writing an article or um making you know commentary in a, a hunting groups or whatnot it's really important to not make things up and that's mm. been my biggest contention with the commentary on this and why you guys did so well is because people are just saying, well, people are saying, well, you know, this thing says they're going to drop 1080. They're going to do this. Or they're talking about the side effects of 1080. Um, and it's like, this doesn't mention that at all. Right. And this, this is talking about developing. And, and as you said, they'll most likely take what they know already, but 
that's not what's being suggested. So to act as if what is being suggested is 1080, well, that's just making the hunting community look stupid. It's making uh, these uh, the community look like, you know, what's the point of bringing these guys to the table? Because they are, like, purposefully, well, I shouldn't say purposefully, um, purposefully, because I don't know if it is these people's intention to spread misinformation, but these people are, are putting out misinformation, and then other people are believing the misinformation, right? And um, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's not a good place to be. I think that's really a bad place to be. Um, at the end of the day, this plan, this non-piece of legislation, or this piece of non-legislation, supports the development of um, new baits, and I guess baiting techniques. Mm. And they also mention baits and baiting methods. So, you know, however they deploy the the new poison or whatnot, uh, would be used according to relevant legislation in each state and territory at the discretion of authorities in consultation with landholders, recreational deer hunters, and the commercial harvest um, harvesting industry. So what this working group supports is consultation with recreational hunters when bait is being developed and when the um, uh, methodology is being developed, right? And so to then interpret that any other way is doing a disservice to the hunting community. And I think that's really important. And, and I know your point was like, in reality, it's actually like X, Y, and Z, but it, to to do to go yeah, down that I, path I, could be any other. You could say like anything. I I I totally agree with with the importance of keeping a clear head and and reading the document as as it reads. And I suppose that's one of the reasons many of our answers was I don't know. We, we don't know. Though I think from the hunting community's point of view is there's also in this document some things that are, uh, let's, let's say, a little, little rubbery. Um, and, I, and I think that also creates a sense of distrust. Um, do you have um, any? Because I, I I've got a whole well, bunch of for instance, So if you have any examples, I, I can you know, talk about it. Well, before. for instance... This this discussion about the the seriousness of deer in terms of collisions with cars. Oh, for sure, that's a great one. Now, there, if you go to the insurance people who basically deal with collisions, deer don't even get a mention. It kind of goes, if I remember off the top of my head, we showed the graphic. It's something like ninety percent of kangaroos, and and some numbers are actually higher than that. Then it's like, and then some of them split kangaroos between wallabies, and I, I'm assuming that's because some people say, hit a kangaroo or hit a wallaby. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they don't often know. <laughs> There's no forensic investigation. Is that a, is that a wallaroo or, or a eastern grey that you've hit? So it's, uh, it's kangaroos and wallabies and wombats. And when we got down to the one percenter, it was other. And the image representing the one percenter was a cow. <laughs> now, um, 
my understanding is that in terms of animals that kill more Australians than anything else, including in multiple car accidents, it's actually them bloody horses. They're the assassins out there that kill us more than anything. So um, the, the, to say that there is a been an explosion in, in you know, deer-to-car incidents may be true, but that explosion is still less than 1% of all the, the incidents recorded um, by the insurance company. Now, you might say, well, that's because, you know, of location of deer, but the, but the thing is there's more cars in city urban areas and there's more accidents happen in urban areas than there is because there's more cars. So so this peri-urban peri area is where most people, I'm assuming, are clipping roos and wombats and, and cows and other things. So it's, I think, you know, when I read that, I kind of go, okay, well, let's look that up. And sure enough, it doesn't play out as, as, as clearly as possible. I think another thing that is also um, is interesting is that this idea that we're hitting plague proportions in a very short period of time, whereas we've had deer in Queensland for 150 years and we haven't seen the plague yet. So there's that. And to me, that sounds, I read that and I read over politicization of an issue mm. rather than a desire to... Um, to present a you know present a case, and I suppose for me the third thing that resonates with me is that there's a there's a lovely statement in the beginning about inclusion and about diversity and accepting things like that, and about you know the consultation and the inclusion with the community. And another thing that kind of I read about that when I read that was well I'm a hunter and I'm also part of the community so where's that balance you know it's like you're saying well we're talking about the community but we're not talking about this group within the community because this group's identified themselves as this this you know over here so they're sliced out of the community and I think I kind of don't like that more than anything to say that I'm not a part of a community because I'm in a group that you don't want to engage with. Mm. I, I, to me, that that's yeah, that's kind of yeah, okay. And for and so I can I can understand why people are going. Yeah, you know what? I don't trust you on this because of, of those kind of things. So I think there's a there's a, a significant part of this plans. Um, presentation that I think would by its very nature raise people's radar. Yeah, and I think a, a lot of um, a lot of documents these days are written with public safety in mind mm. and to draw public safety into this based on that one percenter seems uh, you know an overreach but good I mean great pickup for sure I'm not sure that's within the science of this Daniel but it's a hundred percent part of the reason why people are concerned because mm. we've, we've got to trust the rest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, yeah, 100%, you know, having like putting the, the car, the vehicle collisions in that document, I think is a bit of an over-exaggeration, but to leave it out 
would then be well, you shouldn't leave things out. And when you're when you're no, writing, you have to identify every single issue. Um, and I think yeah, but they haven't yeah. they haven't talked about how many deer have have stomped people to death or stabbed them with their antlers. <laughs> There's so many things that could be left out. Um, you know, people are getting up close and personal with these things in the bush. You know, maybe there's a danger there too. I, do, I, I get it. It's a, look, it's a tough one. You can't cover everything, but, it, uh, but that, yeah, that was a pretty the, deer, the whole deer yeah. on the roads thing is in the news every, well, I guess every year, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you guys are from Brisbane, so you know, Mogul. Mogul has deer um, coming up to the roads at times, and uh, there's always footage every, every year of... Um, some massive, some massive deer running garden. on the road. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's something that people do know. Um, I think just yeah. to focus on that from either the hunting community or them is sort of a, a misdirection um, and not not really important either way. Uh, the people who, who I, mean, the cars I, I drive through, I drive through Mog all the time. Yeah, I drive through Mog all the time. I see more horses near fences than I see deer. I saw so, deer just a few know, weeks ago. And, and yeah, uh, no, I see deer, yeah. but I see a hell of a lot more horses than Ooh. I see deer. So, um, and I, so, and that's that's what I, you know, I understand that there's there's voices out there who who are, um, and I suppose what I, my, my my take on this is that I've seen a lot of the stuff that's been that's been spoken about it, and and like, and I kind of, whilst I might not agree with it. I have some sympathy for the motivation because I, I kind of got the same sense of presentation from parts of the document than I get from some of those podcasts and things that are out there. So I kind of I, I I don't think it's all one way traffic in regards to mm. the uh, the um, sensationalising of certain parts of the of the problem. So. No, but we can that explore some of those packed. things because I completely ignored. Yeah, we can. Um, you know the second point that she made, and um, of about. But that's the okay. Look, I, 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 I don't, I don't expect you to, to be the. You know, uh, we didn't ask you on here to, to 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 back you in a corner and defend things. We really wanted to get your take on it in from a more of a scientific point of view. And look, yeah, I and I, that, that's what I'm talking you're about. The, I mean, I've, I've got about, those about thermals and things like that. Yeah, but what. What I was going to suggest is, so one of the things you did mention, which which I thought was very, um, which was really beneficial, is you said um, some ideas you had about how you may present a more meaningful case to about the importance of deer, you know, and, and how to how to frame a response and how to um, so. I think that's you know okay. Rather than kind of have an arm wrestle about the the points of order, well, what can we do that may be more better? So how can we how could we as as hunters respond to this in what you see would be a more effective and more meaningful way? So how okay, we, that's you know, great. That's what's that's the, a way better direction. Um, what's the, than what, what's the call? Yeah, what's the call of action here? But and and what would be your take on how to approach that call of action? Okay. Um, no, that, that's that's fantastic. That's that's way better. So I think the first step before writing any piece, because we've got until March twenty to make any submissions. That's when the 
mm-hmm. consultations closed, is to not fight any points that they make in terms of damage to the environment, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of commentary that and I've why seen, is that? And why is that? Because it's real. I okay. Um, as as uh, much as people may want to disagree that deer cause damage to the Australian environment, they do. Um, it's it's mm. massively researched and not political. They cause a lot of damage to the Australian environment. It's just like what is right. So to approach any submission um, in bad faith is not going to create a good argument, right? I mean, if someone comes to you about something and they and you can just tell they're not wanting to work with you or they're denying something you've said, it's like, well, if you can't even agree on the basics, it's it's not going to work out, right? So don't approach something in bad faith. Uh, I think the second thing to, to understand is that uh, what's the best way to put this? Understand exactly what their power is. So we and we've we've covered this that they're just a working group writing a proposal that can be adopted by various stakeholders. It's not legislation. So to act as if they have any power to rewrite legislation is then putting a lot of effort into something that they can't even control. So some of the commentary I've seen is to, there's a part in this plan about suppressors. And that's fantastic that they are acknowledging that suppressors are a good tool. But they they can't go to the New South Wales Firearm Registry and be like, hey, you guys need to make suppressors legal. They, they're not going to go to Weapons Licensing Branch and say, okay, you need to make suppressors legal. Uh, that, that's not within their power. They have acknowledged that suppressors are good, but they um, they can't change legislation. So approaching them and being like, you, you need to then change legislation to suit us, that's not going to go anywhere. You've just put them, you know, however long it's taken you to write this submission, and just, you've just wasted that time. Does that make sense? So, yeah, to me, to me, I can understand that. Again, I, I kind yeah. of flippantly said, hey, yeah, sure, give me, <laughs> give me, give me, give me. But obviously they have no control over it. And, 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 and I think a, a, an important point to, to, to make is that we're also talking about legislation that's way out of their wheelhouse in terms of weapons licensing and stuff. Yeah. So mm. there's not even like a complementary component to what they're talking about in that license. So yeah, that's yeah. that's a very long, 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 long way away from where that where they're currently at. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, um, and that that's just me saying like, look, just don't waste your time because no one likes their time to mm. be wasted. Um, and you're not wasting your time by listening to this podcast, right? Um, so they're, they're the first two things. And then beyond that is... <laughs> that guess... remains to be seen, mate. That remains to be seen. <laughs> no. Just so not. then to <laughs> further write a good submission is to make a good case for... This is just my opinion. For why recreational hunters should be considered um, as a tool in their goal of introducing a population decline of deer. Um, mm-hmm. you you may not want that, but the Australian environment definitely wants that. And 
some uh, farmers would definitely do want less deer around. So, mm-hmm. so what you're saying is, in that in that sense, it's better to be in the tent than outside the tent. Yes, that's that's a good way to put it. Yeah, um, it's better to be part of the plan, so then at least you can go hunting, um, rather than just have some hissy fit and then be excluded from the plan forever, right? Um, and then they go off and kill all the deer anyway. So how do we make a good um, proposal? Well, start off with economics. Well, we don't have to start off with economics, but we can start off with the economics. And something that you guys brought up is that there's data from... Uh, Victoria's GMA onto the contribution Mm -hmm. uh, to the economy that comes from deer hunting. And uh, I think maybe it's hunting in general, which is in excess of $350 million a year. So now to the state. Now, John, I looked this up. I did. If I remember correctly, it's something like about 400 mil for hunting, but they actually separate deer hunting out of that. And it's about two hundred mil. Okay, mm. only two hundred yeah. million dollars. And that's in New, that's in that's in Victoria. Mm-hmm. Um, New South Wales do a, a similar report every year through yep. the DPI, and theirs is again it's a significant contribution it's, to it's the quite state's a lot. economy, and it's also a very targeted contribution, which I think is also really important. So it's not spent. Um, in whatever it, what, what, what's uh, what's the, what's the main street in Sydney? I don't know, but anyway, it's not set, spent in the CBD. It's actually spent in areas where they may have less opportunity for economic development. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, where to to access that information? Um, I, I think you just need to really just look up Australian hunting contribution to the economy. And it should hopefully bring up the New South Wales DPR report, yeah. which came out, I think, like three or four weeks ago. Um, the GMA report yep. is mm. yearly um, in all yep. of their reports. So it's, it's a very one significant in Tasmania, but it, it, it hasn't. There's one in Tasmania, but it hasn't been as frequent as it once was. Does this, I, that's I Tasmania count, to... though. I mean, hmm? like. Oh. Well, and there goes our podcast. No, I like that. Feedback is nice, but um, but you know, so so these don't you don't need to start with contribution to the economy, but um, but that that's that's a good part to include. Find this data. Don't just make it up, and don't um, leave out references. If you find a piece of information. Make sure you reference it, right? So when they read it, they're not just like, hey, these guys are just like making numbers up. It's making so, it so sure. You've yeah. actually got proof, like evidence, right? Um, beyond that, well, again, doesn't... Dog's making weird noises. Um, okay, so... It's just weeing on the floor, mate. Don't worry about it. <laughs> ah, whatever. Just mop it up. Um, so find out about ground shooting, right? The effectiveness of ground shooting versus maybe helicopter culls. Um, you don't really need to like rag on any methods because we're really just trying to push hunt, uh, recreational hunting to the forefront. 
I don't know if it's a good idea to then bring down other methods or not. Um, but you can. Because yeah, I think that's a good are, idea. There are studies done on the effectiveness of helicopter shooting versus ground shooting, and specifically about the money involved per animal killed. Mm. Oh, and they even good. make the point that helicopter shootings are really most effective when there's when they're really trying to rapidly kill a new invasion to a, to a new area um, rather than, you know, something to use all the time. So make a case for the effectiveness of just ground shooting, not recreational hunting, specifically just shooting on the ground. Um, and then once you've done that, then, you know, write about how recreational hunting helps. You know, you've got contributions to the economy versus a contract shooter. A contract shooter takes from the economy because they have to be paid. A volunteer shooter, so like these teams, are also reimbursed. Um, and all of the, the programs so far, and at least the studies done that they reference or um, that have just been done, you know, elsewhere, mostly in Victoria, um, all of the volunteer shooters have been reimbursed in some way or another, so which could be food, um, ammo mm. costs, or accommodation, right? So even within their plan of just, like, the differences between a volunteer shooter and a recreational hunter, a volunteer shooter costs the state for basically the same effectiveness as a recreational hunter. So, you know, establish that ground shooting is good and, and it works, but then talk about how recreational hunting is better than those other methods because it has the same effect, close to the same effectiveness, but contributes to the economy, right? That's, that seems pretty valid. And that, I mean, that, that's a pretty good case there. Um, now we've talked about that they can't change legislation, but you sort of can, if you're writing objectives for them, that they can put pressure on the state governments to introduce legislation that would create a Queensland management game management authority or or such might not work. It's a bit of a hail mary, but you can't hurt to include that. You know they could put pressure on the states to open recreational hunting in state forestry because of the clear benefits for conservation objectives. Like I said, Hail Mary, but can can try. Um, and then after that, so what I've done and what's on my web on my website and anyone can like look at and sort of try themselves is make a case for how valid recreational hunting is in terms of taking numbers out of the deer population. As you said at the start, um in Victoria, hunters take out more deer than any of the other tools combined. I don't know if that's true or not, but they do take out a lot. Um, well, last it, year they took out 120,000, and I doubt if... Uh, well, I doubt if the others combined took out 130,000. Yeah. Um, I'm not I'm not sure because I don't have those numbers, mm. so I'm not going to... Mm. I'm not going to say that it's definitely the case, but mm. it seems likely that it's the case that they, that recreational hunting killed more deer than like culls and stuff. So 
have a look at our numbers of licensed hunters over the years. You can go back to, I think, 2009, or maybe even further, for licensed deer hunters in Victoria. And then you can look at, um, I think, last year, maybe I think 2021 is maybe the earliest, um, the latest you can look at. And there's a massive increase of people getting deer hunting licenses in Victoria. So just from numbers alone, this community is becoming larger. And, you know, the more people doing it, the, the more deer are going to be killed. So just by that, our recreational hunting is becoming a more valid tool. Like every single year, you know, you can see the increase. And then within those documents, it's called the... Oh, I can't remember what the document is actually called now off the top of my head, but it's the yearly report of, you know, deer harvest in Victoria. Um, estimates of the of the deer harvest in Victoria, revolts, results from surveys. So they have, you know, each year. Um, mm-hmm. you, can, you can look at the numbers taken of all the deer and then down to a species level how many deer we're taking of each species or or pretty good estimates rather. Mm. Now, again, go from the earliest record that you can to the latest and see that it's becoming more and more like more deer being taken. Mm. And, and because, and what, what this is doing is this creating a baseline that says recreational hunting is a valid tool. Um, and, what and you, I suppose that it's also an increasingly valid tool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's on a, it's an uplift. Yeah. Um, now I now, did. I remember. I remember when. I remember when the COVID years come came out, and it was like it dropped down about sixty five thousand deer taken. Yeah. You know, uh, in Victoria, kind of, and and, uh, and, there was, and there was some wonder. There was some kind of wonderful throwaway line saying something like, "This may be associated with COVID." <laughs> you know, the fact that. Mm. The whole place was locked down. I mean, it's surprised sixty got shot. But anyway, yeah, so, yeah, I, I, yeah. I remember that one. They, they, went, they oh, did. Okay. I wonder why that was. No they they do make note door. that the twenty twenty <laughs> harvest is, you know, not normal, um, and you know shouldn't be included in like trends and stuff. Um, mm. So what you can do if you're mathematically inclined, but you know, really need to discuss up on this, is infer. The total pop, um, how many deer are being taken from the entire population? So this was this was kind of complicated maths, um, but but it's really important because I, I've tried to disprove one of their points where they say that current populations are too high to be controlled by recreational hunting or recent control efforts, and um, and look that is. That is true. We can't do everything, but we do have these restrictions on us. Like in Queensland, we can't go to, to Moggle and, and shoot deer there. Um, whereas in Victoria, you could go to the equivalent of Victorian Moggle and, and hunt deer. Um, but we do a really good job, and, and I've proved this mathematically. So Victoria estimates that they have a million deer, right? Um, their, their population is a million. And we know that around 3,000 of these are hog deer because hog deer are very closely ma- um, monitored, There's, you know, with their mm. 
balance system and on the islands and stuff. Uh, but unfortunately, unfortunately, all of the other species don't have estimates on their um, population sizes. Now, overseas, it's a, a very common tool is to use hunting harvest reports to infer demographic proxy, right? So they, they sort of have an idea of how many deer there are. They know the success rates of uh, deer hunters. And they use that to kind of infer how many of each species there are. And so that's what I've done. There's no published literature on that in Australia, but um, I worked with a friend of mine who has a PhD in maths to get these numbers. And it was, it was very, it was very complicated, but it, it's very valid. So in 2021, uh, Victorian recreational hunters harvested around 118,000 deer. It's actually a bit under 119,000, but Let's just mm. round down to 118, just to make it easier to, to say. Um, and that was approximately 68,000 and some change Samba deer, right? So uh, 57, just under 58% of the total harvest was Samba, right? So then we can in, use that to infer that Samba deer make up just under 58% of the 1 million deer in Victoria. And, you know, you talk to Victorian deer hunters and they'll say, that's probably about right. Um, so that would total just under 580,000 um, Samba deer in Victoria. So using that, in 2021, recreational hunting harvested 11.88% uh, of the Samba deer population. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yep. using further published science, um, there was a study that looked at the intrinsic rate of population increase of Samba deer in Victoria. So the intrinsic rate of increase of a, of a species is basically how much larger that population grows with each other breeding cycle over a determined period of time. Um, deer, mm -hmm. like Samba breed like once a year, so they were able to try and figure out this. And now this uh, is maths that use like life table equations and stuff. It's pretty complicated. And what it does is it accounts for natural death. So most species die, um, the, the highest rates of death are in the juvenile stage. So it accounts for deaths in the juvenile stage, um, you know, maybe like from foxes, dingoes, wild dogs, etc. Um, from car collisions and other causes of death, but not hunting, and that's really important. And it's that that's then that's not like conspiracy or anything. That's that's a that's mm. a standard to to do to not include hunting in the intrinsic rate of increase. Um, so the intrinsic rate of increase of Samba deer was between fifteen and twenty four percent each year. So their their herd, I mm. guess, um, increases between fifteen and twenty four percent. So if there's you know Hang on, let's do some math. If there's a thousand, no, if there's a hundred, hundred's easy to work with. Then next year <laughs> yeah. it'll be 115 to 124. 15 to 124. Yeah. And they estimated that they need an annual anthropogenic mortality rate. So now we're talking about a human introduced mortality, so hunting or culls, etc., of 13 to 19 percent to maintain a stable population. 
So mm. we've just discussed that recreational hunting takes 11.88% of the Samba deer population. Um, but Samba deer only need a 13 to 19% um, human caused mortality rate just to maintain a stable population. So we're already as a community, almost keeping the Samba population at a maintenance level, like at just yeah. a single thing. So, I mean, yeah, you know, Victorian hunters aren't introducing a population decline, but to say that they're too high to be controlled by recreational hunting, it's a bit of a misnomer. Um, if, Especially you know, if you introduce other these ways. New tools. And I think, I, that's right. And I think, I think that, again, that's one of those things that resonates with people so loudly about this, this particular document that it, 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 it tends to, well, it does. It discredits that by saying, well, it's because of the, the intention, those numbers don't matter. But we know that they do matter. I mean, and, you know, even anecdotally, you know, that recreational hunting does affect populations. Um, you know, that anecdotally, um, if, mm. you, if you, I mean, Severn State Forest is a great example. Um, you know, the opportunity to take a goat from Severn State Forest hasn't really declined, but the opportunity to take lots of goats from Severn State Forest has most definitely declined. Mm. Yeah. From Amdown. You know, you'll still get a goat if you go to Severn. You'll still get a goat, but you won't get the six to eight that you used to get. That's if you can get the book anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Oh, and then, yeah, and that's the other thing, and too, and the fact is, from a from a a, a, a pressure point of view, if you can get, you can't even get in there because people are always hitting that from. So you can see that in a small, you know, in a small controlled environment like Severn, you actually are getting a significant. You're not getting. You may be not getting a reduction, but you are getting a stabilization of that population. Uh, yeah. Well, there was a reduction, and that reduction is somehow stabilized, and it's now at the point where you know the breeding. The breeding cycles are as they are with goats and hunting. So, so, yeah, I think a lot of people are challenged by that fact, fact where they're saying that, you know, hunting is no longer an effective mechanism. And we're going to go, well, 10% is 10%, you know. Yeah. Um, um, but like, and it goes to without it. Um, so... That's right. Oh, no, that's right. I know that. I know yeah. that. But, but I mean, and no, but not, but neither is saying that recreational hunting doesn't have an, it does, you know, is, is, is beyond, is no longer effective. That's not science either, too. That, that's an observation. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, to, so, to make a good argument, you need to prove it. You need to back up mm, your point. Yeah. Um, I think so. And, and so that, that's why, it's, you know, it's, it's important to kind of, well, yeah, if you're going to say something, you know, back it up, and um, okay, and, and and that's really what I'm what I really want to try and help people do is to to back up what they're saying, um, because the commentary has been very anecdotal, <laughs> um, yeah. and so, so just to, so I've been taking some notes. So let's. So what you're saying is that in the first instance, you know, it's better to be in the tent than outside the tent. So approach the fact that you want to actually have influence rather than have an argument with these people. Yeah. Um, second thing was um, 
uh, you said that it was wise to avoid the argument about the environment. Yes. That might that might not be such a good a good way to go. Um, avoid uh, you know pitting one mechanism against the other. So don't don't um, you know don't say well this is good this is bad. So if you're going to talk about recreational hunting, talk about it being good rather than focusing on it being you know others being bad. Talk about the the, the financial value of recreational hunting. Talk about the actual effectiveness of recreational hunting in terms of quoting killed rates, and same with the financials, quoting financial, um, you know, the, the dollars involved. Um, what else did we talk about? We talked about uh, kill rates, the finances. Talk about the benefits specifically of ground shooting, so that because that relies, you know, that that ties in recreational hunting. And the fact that recreational hunter, recreational hunting ground shooters are actually more cost effective than, say, a volunteer ground shooting. So it's a it's a way of 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 uh, it's a it's a cost well, a recreational saving activity is better than a yes, volunteer a shooter. Yeah, yes, sir. Shooter. Uh, and mentioned the fact that in fact recreational hunting and the kill rates of recreation both participation. And kill rates are actually increasing, so more people are getting into it. So there's there's more opportunity to engage recreational hunters because they're not a declining population; they're actually an increasing population. So it's 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 a it's a it's a, a group to be involved with because it's an increasing group. And they're in terms of kill rates, their 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 kill rates statistically, as 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 shown by the various reports, are going up. One thing you didn't mention that I think is worth mentioning too is the actual benefit of recreational hunting to well-being to people. And that's something that we've spoken about in the past with people like Andrew and the actual fact that recreational hunting is actually a worthwhile pursuit in itself. That, you know, it, it's intrinsically a worthwhile pursuit for people to, to be involved in. You know, so it's actually an activity that's beneficial to other things like, you know, per personal well-being, personal health, personal fitness, and things like that. So there is actually a, a flow-on effect from recreational hunting that is not just about dead deer on the ground. Hmm. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's it's very it's good for you. Um, I'm not sure how interested the working group would be in that. Or how effective that would be, just because it's not specifically about deer. Um, but I mean, it, it could help influence, um, in, including recreational hunting as a tool. I would mm. say it probably wouldn't hurt to include. It's not sure how effective it would be. Um, well, and, and 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 to quote your terms, there's the the, fi the final thing that I that you know that I took notes on is. What do you call it? The Hail Mary. Yeah. Is um after uh game management council to be established in Queensland. Well for that they could put pressure or, or, on or, or a, 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 yeah, a model a model a, a model a model of um public land access for recreational hunting be considered for be be raised for the state of Queensland to help to help 
as yeah. as it, to to to, to rec- realize the benefits as we see in places like Victoria and New South Wales. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, like I said, it, I, I wouldn't frame it as a way for them to for them to uh, create this, but to put pressure on the states to to do it, hmm. um, or you know, get the states to consider it. Oh, yeah, and uh, that's right. The other thing I had here is uh, don't treat it like a shopping list to get yourself a thermal and a suppressor and a water yeah. loader. Yeah, no, uh, the, no a, a, a major takeaway for me. <laughs> The major takeaway for me was um, they can't yeah. they can't write legislation. Their their recommendations on thermals and optics um, are just recommendations. They they've got no way of enforcing mm. it or, or pushing it or doing anything with it. Um, conversely, they're recommending the development of a bait, but you know they're not influencing. They've got no no means to develop a bait. They don't have any funding to develop a bait, or they can't tell anyone to do it. So both sides of that argument sort of uh, work against each other as well. It's just a, a framework, like you say, that they're, they're building. Um, and like you said, it's important mm. to be in the tent. I think, I think that's a, a really one. good point that, yeah, I mean, it's a very simple statement, but um, being part of it from the ground up is, is like you said, better than being locked out of it mm. um, once, once it gets published. Mm. I think that's really interesting. Um, I did want to cover one more thing. It sort of sounds like we're wrapping a little bit, but I wanted to cover something. Um, well, not cover it, but I wanted to ask you a question. And that was, out of what you've read and digested and not argued against, because that's a waste of time, we've, we've heard that, so we're not arguing against it, but what is your biggest concern out of this document? Huh. Uh, I guess Okay, the, let's not the rank biggest- it. Biggest is a tough uh, yeah, one. I don't know. What is a major concern for you? Yeah. Honestly, I don't. I don't really have any concerns. Um, as, as important as our contributions are and submissions are, the the states don't agree on anything. The states hmm. aren't heard that before. Effective at anything. <laughs> yeah, wow. uh, our driving, our road laws are different per state. Our teaching laws are different per state our fishing laws are different mm. per state um to to think that there's going to be a national collaboration to eradicate the deer like do you really think that victoria is going to give up 200 million dollars a year um you know i mean queensland may want to get rid of, like, put more effort into the culling of the deer, but Queensland's so big. I mean, to to really do it is would be really difficult. Um, so, like, I think these goals are achievable if each stakeholder did it, like, implemented everything. Yeah. Like, are they, though? I mean, mm-hmm. how often does a piece of legislation even get passed? Well, so I don't really have the sensible that many concerns. part of me. My sensible, the sensible part of me, or maybe no, the the politically experienced part of me, tends to nod my head when you speak about that. Um, mm. You just have to look about how how we handled COVID <laughs> to give you a fair <laughs> example of how states how states handle things. You know, what I mean. 
It's, um, yeah, you, you can like say sisters there's, and brothers. One says yes, a, the other one has to say no. There's a border patrol, and they're stopping the deer from crossing between uh, Bond Shore and Texas. You know? Yeah. Um, so just, now yeah, that so doesn't mean just, that we just, shouldn't make contributions. No, 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 no. But I, I, don't sleep I, on I, I, but I agree with you in that. Yeah, there. Um, yeah, there is. That in a, in a way the the um, the history of um, a lack of <laughs> agreement between states is something in our favour in this particular instance. Yeah. Um, Did you have any uh, other specific things, Daniel? Before we before we wrap up, I I, I don't want to let you yes. go uh, for you to say, "Damn it, mm. I wanted to say this." Yeah, uh, that's true. Get it out now, buddy. We we want to hear it. Okay. Um, I have a few notes, actually. I'm um, a whole book of notes. All I do is go, write go, notes. Go. Let's go. Um, Good. So I've been making commentary on this over the past maybe six weeks on this plan, um, really trying to correct misinformation that's been posted in the in the groups because I, I think misinformation really hurts us. This has come back to bite me a little bit because I have had people message me and I've had people message my friends asking why I'm very obviously anti-gun or anti-hunting, um, why I am calling them out, why I'm taking shots at them. Um, I That's just me being bad at wording things. Um, I have, I, I've, I've really not, I've taken any shots at anyone or um, tried to call anyone out or anything like that. I've really just been, my commentary has been really trying to just correct their misinformation and get people to read the document and and literally read the document. People have made commentary and, and attacked me for saying, hey, like I've said, hey, you need to read the document before you make any commentary on this and just gotten like spam in my DMs and, and all this. Because um, apparently I've got some undisclosed association with these guys. I'm benefiting like I'm not at all um, benefiting from this aside from just getting airtime in, you know, talking about this. So um, I, I, just, I just really want to get that out there. Um, I think uh, there's those commentary by other people about why haven't pigs or horses or that been included in this? Cause they're like, well, they're talking about deer doing damage. Well, pigs do damage. Horses do damage. Um, I'm going to be a bit snarky here and say, look, you don't need a hmm. biology degree to know that pigs aren't deer. Horses aren't deer. Hence why they haven't been included in the deer plan. Um, I, I don't really understand that piece of commentary. Why people have been saying that. But, yeah, no, pigs aren't deer. Hence why they're not in the deer plan. There is a national feral pig plan uh, uh, that came uh, uh, out in 2021. Yeah, that's um, right. So, that's and I'm a, sure they've covered uh, wild brumbies somewhere. Yeah, mm. and people are like, well, you know, yeah. kangaroos do damage. It's like, yeah, and there's also can like kangaroo culling is a massive industry. Um, so it's, it's a weird piece of commentary that people have been making. Again, not taking shots at anyone. Um, it's just a freaking weird piece of commentary. Um, and something you guys said is um, that just just about on. that, mate. Just about the weird piece of commentary. I think what might be a better way to say this is that um, 
I understand exactly what you're saying, and I think the, the, the maybe a way to, to to make something positive of that is that in your submission, it would be unwise to get into an argument about pigs do more damage than deer, so this deer plan is um, invalid. What you're saying is that this deer plan is focused on deer. And so if you're going to make a submission, don't try to bleed it across to say, well, pigs do worse or, yeah. you know, cows or farmers, cows far, do worse. Farmers, bloop, bloop, you know, methane gas or something like that. Stay on topic, which is in this particular instance, we're talking about deer. So it's important we talk about deer, not talk, not to, not to try and bring other issues into it. Which are, is in, you know, which is valid, and I can understand it because people are, are defending, and I understand, and that's defence. Well, you know, what about this and what about that? But what you're saying is that in this instance, what about this and what about that? Probably doesn't lend any useful weight to your submission. Yeah, and it's, it's it would be a point. fair comment to say that this plan came out, it, it hit the public arena for consultation, and there would have been a lot of comment about this. Prior yeah. to it even being read, like people will just automatically believe yeah, just this need, is an attack on, yeah. on, on yeah. deer hunters, and they just knee jerk reactions, and that's, well, that's, that's that's really sad. That's just what that's happens. It. Yeah, but that's it. But I mean, that that's to be in a way. I feel that's the the way I explain that is that uh, it's a it's a for many people, and I'm I'm one of those people included, is that it's just a legacy of gun laws. That you know, and I'll, I'll, to not to derail too much, but for a lot of us in '96, we kind of accepted that we we accepted the argument that something had to change. But I think a lot of people accepted that argument on good faith. That is okay if we accept these changes, you'll leave us be. And what actually unfortunately unfolded is that once you accepted the changes, you became a punching bag and then you just became a continuous punching bag. And I think what a lot of that, you know, what about pigs, what about cows is just a reflection of that. People see this as another, another, another round of punches. Mm. So I think it's important that, you know, we, we, we accept that a lot of people feel that way because it's probably a legacy of just being, you know, the local. I mean, if you're a gun owner in this country, You've gone from being, you know, a redneck to a potential, you know, killer to a potential. For a while, we were potential terrorists. I mean, and, you know, and so you just you just become the latest punching bag, and I think that's what that reflects. And I, 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 my, I myself, I don't agree with it, but I certainly have sympathy for those people because at times you just kind of go, just leave me alone. Eh? I've done mm. through all the hopes. I've done all the stuff you want me to do. Just give me a break. And I think that might be that 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 expression of that. Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. Like I didn't really, you know, sort of think of that, but it's still it's. If you're going to publish something, and then in that thing you're going to publish, you're going to say, "Why aren't pigs included mm. in this?" All you have to do is That's like, right. guess. Or, or, all you have to do is guess pig action plan, and it's it's a real thing. <laughs> so yeah, that's um, right. It up and I think more publish. importantly. 
That's right. And I think from from your point, more importantly, that would be a way that you might inadvertently own goal your own submission because they'll kind of go, this guy's talking about pigs. Not really. To the bottom of the pile. Yep. So you're actually own goaling. Yeah, you're actually giving them a reason to not listen to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's a lot more eloquent than I would say. Um, It's amazing what you can do. Yeah. Um, And other things, just in your... Tonight you said vertebrae species, like there's to be no successful, but in the last podcast you said there's been no successful removal of just invasive species and it's, it's not this again, this is the being, being nitpicky. Um we've pretty much won oh, against what, what, the prickly pear. Invasive. Um prickly oh, pear was yeah, a massive one. Much. Where we introduced no, prickly okay. pear I'll and give you that. Massive, I'll give um, you that. Yeah, but didn't we but didn't we? But didn't we introduce <laughs> something horrible to get rid of the prickly pear? And we still no, got that horrible. This thing? is a massive win for invasion ecology. So there used to be massive like forestry of prickly pear that were over three meters tall, mm. covering acres and acres. Mm. So then um, scientists were like, okay, what kills the prickly pear? Uh, the prickly pear moth. Mm. They introduced that, killed right, most yes. prickly pear, and got rid of those massive acres upon acres of three meter tall uh, cacti. And there was no side effects from the moths. They just died. Um, so what so you're saying, we've won against things, things that, that can't, can't migrate. <laughs> we, 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 we've beaten things that can't move. Yeah, we, we, that's we, right. We can, if it can't move, we've got to Name chance. The deer, We're good at picking on things smaller than us. So, yeah. So basically, uh, we, need to, we need to invent a poison that stops deer them. from moving, and we've got them on the run. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go for the knees. And, but yeah, I just wanted to be nitpicky and, uh, and, and you know, so that, that's okay. Uh, 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 no, that's that's really it. That's all my notes. You guys did well on on your recording. Um, I really liked it. Just wanted to to share something to you. Your point about the fact that you know that you've, you your DMs have been bombarded. Not a, I, I, and I think that's not a that, that's not a, a a pleasant thing at all. And you know, and I suppose you can you can look to quotes. And I think Churchill said, you know. If you if you're upsetting people, you've obviously got something important to say, you know. Um, and I'll give you an example. Okay, uh, that's a sporting shooter magazine that I published. Or that was published in two thousand two thousand and thirteen. Okay, you got that one. Yeah. Oh, okay. A bit of order. So here you go. What was wrong with that photo? The bolts closed. That's right. Uh, I got picked up with the bolts closed. What was the other thing that was wrong with that photo? Zoom in. <laughs> yeah, put it closer. I can't see. Uh, is there a tongue hanging out or something? You uh, got hair there. Supposedly the Billy. Supposedly the nanny was pregnant, and I shot a pregnant. Okay. Nanny. Ah. Oh. Now <laughs> I thought that was a two for the price of one, but <laughs> that's a win. Well, right. that that's asks the, the question. That's the expression. Is it okay to eat the fetus? No. Was, I thought it was a pretty surprise. One, it wasn't pregnant. I just shot him off the water, and it was a gut full of water. Oh. But two, my, I, I got a fair bit of stick um, for that one, and the stick mm. was, one, the bolt was closed and I was demonstrating poor safety practices. Mm. Is it, though? Well, I didn't even want to argue over that because, one, the rifle wasn't right. Because you all know that I never carried a, yeah. a rifle with a with the round in the chamber anyway. 
Um, and two, and two, but more importantly, I, sh- I shot a feral goat on public land under the auspice of killing feral goats on public land as you are by the R license. And yeah. the, the thing was I'd shot a, I'd shot a, I'd shot a, I'd shot a, um, a pregnant goat. Yeah. Mm. It was yeah. unethical. And I, and I, and my, and my response, I, cause I got the letters from the, one of my responses was I thought it was, I was good because I, was, I did a two for one. Yeah. Mm. That's a win. Mm. I mean, yeah, that's it. That was a win. So yeah, mate, um, you, you know, uh, I, I, it's a it's a shame that you've cop flack. Um, even if you say something that is, you know, uh, it, it, even if you make a mistake, it's a, a mistake is a mistake, and it's a shame you cop flack. But um, it's 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 a it's a reality of you sticking your neck out there. You're going to cop yeah. some flack. Yeah, it's just uh, just like one of those things. It's just annoying. Um, I am definitely not anti gun. It'll get on I'm your nerves. Not I think hunting. the first yeah. first. The first negative comments we received uh, when we started doing the podcast, mm. pretty sure the first one got under my nerves a little bit. The mm. second one, not so much. They're and now everyone has an opinion. I get it. And some people like to voice it. It's far easier to voice your opinion there, on the keyboard was, than it is remember there was Remember there was one guy on one of the Facebook pages who oh, was yeah, on the, uh, after us all the, the time. <laughs> I'm just going to say um, thank you. Thank you a lot for reaching out. Uh, and and coming and talking to us about the facts and the details, how to help people uh, make a response. Uh, I, I think there are only a real select few people that pick up the pen and respond to something like this, and it's it's important to help people get that right. So you've done a great job with that. Um, I listen to all the guests that come on the podcast, but I listen very intently to this conversation because there was so much detail in it. Um, and I thought it was it was wonderful. So thanks very much. Um, I'm sure the others will agree, but they'll have their own additional comments, no doubt. I'm almost I'm almost uh, mindful to say something. Yeah, to 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 um, to spoil what Ian said. Look, thanks for taking the time to come on. Um, we really mm. appreciate it, and you gave us a really a different insight. Uh, so mm. that that's been really very useful, and it's helped round out that document for us, certainly for me anyway. So, yeah, and I'll echo, again, mate, echo what they've said as well. Thanks very much, mate. You're right, Daniel. Yeah, uh, my tech issues, so <laughs> I'm dropping talk. <laughs> no, no, you're right, mate. Well, thanks again, and we'll um, we'll keep in touch on this. If anyone wants to have a look at your um, your document, your submission, you said it's on your website. Are you able to call out your website details so people can find you? And we'll also chuck it in the description below. Yeah. Um, so it's just eurekatactical.com. And if you want to read my specific um, submission, just like on the top, there's like articles. Just click on that. And then National Feral Deer Action Plan Submission. That's like six pages. Um, awesome. We'll definitely share links to that. That's for sure. Awesome. Thanks very much, mate. All right. Good stuff, mate. Thank you.